you do so uh, awesome stuff and publish so much and has so little money and I just show my body and get so much money and <laughs> I don't know I found it a bit perverted that like I don't know very important topics don't find like I don't know the supporters that they would need I really respect your values I think we share similar values and I think you have underscored a critical issue in society which is the idea that we're willing to spend a lot of money just to see a stranger's body parts, but we're not willing to spend the same money on education to understand how to get to see them in person in a very consensual and positive way. Yeah. Or take accountability for the things that have been unconsensual in the past and where we should look and work on. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate. Relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. We talk a lot about individual accountability because we're a very individualistic culture. However, community accountability doesn't just mean being accountable to your community. It also means your community being accountable to its members. In this episode, we'll talk about some strategies we can use in our events or request our events use for us for reducing risk of harm happening at those events. Two friends, Ali from Belgium and Janina from Vienna and Berlin, are keen to talk about those event management strategies with me. What tools should you be researching when figuring out how to make your event safer? Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to another session of Intimate Interactions. I have a very special session today with two lovely humans from Europe. There is Olivier, who uses they, they and he pronouns, who is a sex-positive activist, an enthusiastic systems builder, someone who wants to be a capacity builder in community someone who volunteers with the Consent Academy, and someone who's based in Brussels, Belgium. How are you, Olivier? I'm good. Nice to meet you finally, Victor. Happy to nice be to here. Nice to meet you as well. Awesome. And we also have Janina Vivian, a sex educator, sex-positive activist, event organizer, um, the mastermind or co-mastermind behind Project Sex Positive Europe. I've also a volunteer with the Consent Academy, like myself and Olivier, based in Vienna and Berlin, if I'm not mistaken, unlike myself. <laughs> and you can find her at Janina Vivian uh, on Instagram or her Facebook page. Is your Facebook page the same? Yes, everything, everywhere in the web. <laughs> Janina Vivian, is it uh, .com for your website? Um, yes, I see. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Um, so both of you have experience in community, in alternative community, with accountability type stuff. I'm super interested to pick your brains and chat further about... Let's start with um, events and event management. Um, so, Yanina, I'm really interested in the idea in criminology behind making environments inhospitable to acts of harm 
there's a lot of talk about accountability on individuals who commit harm and there's a lot of talk on accountability around communities managing harm that has already happened however there's a lot of interesting information in criminology about making committing harm in an environment extremely inconvenient and i'm curious what steps you're you've taken or are looking into in event management where you're trying to make committing harm very very challenging in that space thank you for that great question um i i actually developed a lot of tools to make my spaces safer over the years and also took a lot of things that i saw in other events where i thought oh well i think that could help to even make it more pleasant um, but I think a lot of it is actually the selection of the the persons that are coming. So for almost all of my events, we are pre-selecting the guests. They have to apply and respond to questions. Uh, what's their intention if they already know the community? And so we kind of select also through that. And then there is other tools on the event. Um, like for example, having consent angels or soul angels that are here and are approachable for people, but also at the same time have an open ear and eye. Um, so these are, uh, I think, very important tools, but also the education of our community and attendees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are really excellent tools for sure. Um, Olivier, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I think, well, I, I used to organize also like a lot of events actually like in, in community, like um, I uh, started or co-founded co actually like the, the chapter of Sex Positive Belgium, uh, which is like a, okay. a chapter of um, Sex Positive World. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like like Janina already said, like there's also like lots of, of uh, techniques to kind of like filter the the people who come in to kind of like make sure that they go through education so that they know what they can like expect like how they can like uh like behave and stuff like kind of like those kind of things like the basics of consent for example and i think like one important thing when uh organizing events in communities is also like the the social uh factor so we kind of like look out for each other uh with um uh, our community was like like a, like we had the three C's. Uh, one of them was care. So like we really like uh, educated the people in like how they care for themselves, but also for, mm -hmm. uh, also for the others. And to also kind of like know like like what if things go wrong, uh, like what happens then, and like knowing those things really helps with kind of like yeah making the the. The space in hospital for uh, for harm, uh, although like it it harm always occurs at some point, it's inevitable. I think um, so. That's also yeah, important to know. Yeah, like what do we do when we stumble, and how do we get each other back up? No. I just mm -hmm. also realized one thing that is probably a bit unique in Europe for my events and for also my other partners is like our events are all uh, without, no, I will repeat that because 
Um, my events are all without intoxication. So nobody drinks right. alcohol or take drugs. And for me, this is really reducing also the risk that people are going over their capacities or not seeing actually the harm that they are causing. Mm-hmm. And that's a very interesting point you bring up. As a relationship anarchist, I, I feel very strongly about you know our our personal responsibility in making sure we manage our own capacities. At the same time, I recognize as event organizers, we have an obligation and a responsibility to our community and our public to manage risk factors that are beyond the community's risk profile. It's like when I think about my personal risk profile of things that I would participate in, if a top is someone I trust and I've seen them intoxicated, I would probably be okay with them topping me intoxicated if I knew them and I trusted them really well. So I knew what to expect. Um, And obviously, if it had gone well in the past, it's something that I'm more likely to do again in future. At the same time, just because it's within our risk profile doesn't mean the risk of community division or fracture is worth it for the community. So there's this interesting trade-off between accessibility and exclusion that is super hard to navigate, like to find that line. I'm curious, Yanina, how do you navigate this idea of making sure your events are accessible to everybody, but then also making sure they're exclusive enough of people who maybe aren't at the right time or the right place in their life to participate in a way that feels safe or safer for others at the event? How do you distinguish between accessibility versus exclusion? So I'm totally aware of also the principles of harm reduction and that some people um, taking some substances is their daily. And we do some, uh, we talk beforehand and we make some deals. Like for example, I have a lot of people Oh no, I have some friends who smoke a lot of weed. And then we say, okay, you can do that, but you have to uh, be sober enough and you have to do it alone, away from everything. So there is ways, but also people that take meds that they are kind of changing a bit something. It's very important that they take it, of course, because we don't want to exclude someone because of their mental health. Um, But at the same time, it's also something that needs to be communicated and not, um, yeah, just done. And um, a big other thing is that we kind of also, no, we don't really communicate about that because then it's actually made behind the behind the scenes because if we would communicate, everyone would kind of want to have want to do their substance, yeah. And, and there is there is a fine line there as well, like you're saying. For me, I, like, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with my voice's consent framework. Um, is that something you've seen? I saw okay, it cool. on your website. Yeah. Okay. Um, the S in terms of um, being sound of mind, um, it could have very easily been the word sober, but I specifically chose that S was about the soundness of one's decision-making process, which in the best definition without getting into the definition of the word itself um, is that a person has taken all of the substances that bring them closer to their ideal decision-making frame of mind and has not taken substances that take them away from their ideal decision-making frame of mind. That is interesting. So 
so if you take medications that improve your capacity to make good decisions, um, that's, that's important. And for some people, you know, the anxiety they experience without self-medicating can be debilitating. So I try and have some flexibility around things like cannabis use. So if people are, you know, using cannabis and that brings them into a more measured level, good place for them, I'm usually okay with that. But there is a very strong tendency, I think, for people to avoid the discomfort of rejection and of asking to avoid the sharpness of the experience to sort of take the edge off. And I think when you lose the sharpness of your senses, you also lose some vulnerability. You lose your ability to connect a little bit. So it's very hard for me sometimes to distinguish between is this person self-medicating or are they using Right. So like to what extent does this substance get them into a place they would prefer to be in rather than into a place where they make their best decisions? Yeah, I think it's also a bit like a like a, a knife that uh, cuts on both sides in a way, like some uh, uh, substances can help you bring you closer to like your ideal self, uh, like so you can better choose what you actually want and like respond to that. And on the other side, like it can also make other aspects like like other sides of like uh, setting personal boundaries also like more difficult so it's it's a very interesting well i think it's a definitely definitely a, a difficult um, balance but like i do really mm -hmm. like that like the whole concept really puts like the the power with the people and respecting their like uh, authentic um, choices in that as well so yeah i really mm -hmm. like that i'm gonna take that with me if i can <laughs> Absolutely. But I think it's always important to see us as a personal. So my own sexuality and drugs is something else as uh, that I promote with my events. And often I also shock people mm. that meet me then in private. It's like, what? I thought you are straight edge. And I was like, this is like, there is risks that uh, as an event manager, I'm not ready to take. Um, also because right. it really reduces my work. If everyone is kind of at their had already reduced capacities because we are in an environment because we are new maybe to the scene and things like that for me alcohol and the other things are again more a risk especially if people are new to the scene and other people who already have mm -hmm. more experience with the use of substances and sexuality mm -hmm. so if they are very excited and they might uh, come together with people that are very experienced it's also already a power dynamic that is happening and it's similar definitely to drug use if they are not so much experienced with drug use and then would combine it with a sexual space yeah it can really also yeah higher the stakes yeah there's just too many things going on i think for most new individuals risk profiles like i find when people don't even know what the words risk profile mean it's very difficult for them to have a sense of what their risk profile is they need the words to be able to to fill the concept out and until they fill the concept out with ideas about themselves they get that self-knowledge they're at a higher risk yeah. so it's again that that dichotomy between trusting people completely and allowing them to decide what's right for themselves. Mm. Sorry, that's the same thing I just said twice. 
Thank versus um, deciding safe guardrails for them so they can have a, mo a pretty safe experience with some risk and let them take big risks once they understand and can give informed consent for those risks. Yeah. Like, like a lot of the things that we also try to do, I guess, is also um, um, guiding people and especially new people uh, in uh, risk assessments. Like, how do they do it? Mm. Like, uh, what are the potential risks for them? What are the potential risks of this space? And what are the potential risks of these activities that we're going to do, for example? And uh, like, how do we navigate? How do we kind of like self-evaluate? And uh, and then uh, interact with that. And set boundaries. Yeah. I think really to in phrasing, also to set boundaries and step out, make a break. Also, we always on our events have spaces that are clearly non-sexual. And also, mm -hmm. yeah, for me, sex positivity is not just like an orgy, but like a whole celebration of people coming together who are like-minded. So we always have mm -hmm. non-sexual spaces uh, where you can connect and come down and yeah, talk. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, orgies are really fun, but also sex positivity in general goes beyond the orgy <laughs> it it certainly goes beyond being able to have the fun we want to have and ties into for me anyways bringing the comfort that i feel when i'm with my people more into the mainstream like being able to teach people that they don't need to be quite as uh that they don't need to follow a prescribed narrative from society that they can sort of choose their own adventure as it were yes yeah yeah awesome i'm so happy anina that you brought up setting boundaries that is something that is still difficult for me that i'm still working on but it is getting progressively easier do you have any tips while we're talking about um keeping events safer do you have any tips for teaching newer individuals to boundary setting how to set good boundaries i think one thing is to really make them experience it. So we have a workshop on the beginning of our, our events that is called um, Nonverbal Speed Dating or other consent workshops, actually, that really make you feel the, the boundaries, make you a bit on the edge, actually, and really also show it's okay to say no, it's okay to say maybe, and um, really normalize the setting boundaries. And um, otherwise, I also think it's really important to really model it. So also yes. when I'm speaking, I sometimes say things, I show myself vulnerable. I, uh, I show that there's things I don't like. So I don't try to just be perfect or just let everything go over myself. So during COVID, for example, we really, uh, I was saying, stop. Can we check in how we want to greet each other? I don't want to hug everyone because there is a risk. And this is already a setting of boundary that uh, shows other people, oh, okay, yeah, true. I have to check in with other people on that event how they want to be greeted. Yeah, that's well said. I have, I've definitely noticed the orgies I've been at have done similar consent exercises at the beginning where you practice asking for what you want, um, where you practice saying no, um, where you practice hearing rejection. So sometimes both at the same time. There, that is just such a good point that you made. It is so important to model 
and part of the modeling and education is those consent exercises. I honestly think the orgies I've been to have been so safe because of the consent culture, which comes about because of the... Basically, there are a lot of very experienced people at the events I go to. So almost like consent angels, like you're working with more uh, experienced community members, which reduces the risk for me. And then also all the consent exercises around it make me feel super comfortable when there are newer people. So while I'm still cautious around newer individuals at those events, I know that they've gotten the basic consent exercises out of the way. And that builds a lot of confidence, I think. But how do you deal with your power? Because that's where I also feel comfortable in setting my power. Um, but now also, as I am a known community member, seen often as facilitator or a community leader, even if when I go to other events, I feel like there is still a power difference. And I don't know, I almost don't go to orgies or really sexual parties anymore because in my cities because I feel this, yeah. I hear you completely. I'm really mindful not to sleep with any students of any of the classes that I've been with or that I've taught. Like plain and simple, I'm super, super careful about that. So if I'm teaching like an in-person workshop, I'm not going to be dating any of the people in the audience. That just doesn't happen. Um, there was a single instance in my history where that has not been the case. And it was the case because one of my friends said, hey, I have a friend who really wants to meet you and is interested in dating you. Um, is it okay if she comes to your workshop? And I was like, as long as she's aware that that might cause, you know, a bit of like a power differential because then she's going to see me teaching. Um, and she was perfectly fine with that. And I was like, okay, like it does produce a power differential. Um, so she had the intention of dating me before she came to the workshop. That is the one and only exception where I've dated someone that's been in the audience of one of my workshops. But yeah, that's, that's the best answer I can give you is I avoid dealing with my power by just like avoiding individuals where there's going to be too much of a power dynamic, at least until they've acclimatized to me in a different context. Mm. So if I've been like, oh, I'm an event organizer in the community, but, you know, they were a student in the audience. I actually, no, I, I probably still would never do that. But if if they knew me as an event organizer in the city and then they were in my community and in like a circle of friends with me for like, I don't know, like six months, a year. I don't really know if there is a specific time people move at different speeds, but at a certain point, my hope is that they would acclimatize to me as a human being instead of looking at me as a person with a microphone. Well said. That's my hope. I don't know if it actually works. <laughs> I think an, I haven't tried it. I think another uh, important thing that you kind of like also mentioned there is like that they can like uh, build community and that they have like support around community for the case like when things mm -hmm. would go wrong in some kind of way that they have people actually to go to and not like just uh, have to rely on like you for example um, and that there's people yeah being able to support that. Um, yeah, no, I think that's very well said, Olivier. That's that's very important to make sure that when you are dealing with newer individuals that you help them get connected to lots of friends and community members so they have support and other people to learn from. Yeah. Another thing that I would actually do is also to have like a talk about it with them, like to kind of like also see like um, if they do understand like power, like the, the like how, how it all works, like um, how you can, yeah, like to see... I guess 
um, yeah, the, the, I don't know, the maturity around the topic, I think, uh, if it's not like uh, new or like what the intention is behind, because like, yeah, some people also like validly get like excited by the whole power dynamics and like to see how that kind of like uh, works in like a, in a frame set that you can build together and understand and have the backups of the community and stuff. But yeah, personally, mm -hmm. I would also like really avoid that because like it is a very messy, messy trap to to kind of like fall into and like it's yeah. I agree. It's it's definitely starting from it's starting in the negative. Like you're yeah. you're already starting yes. from a challenging position. But it's not always so easy because especially in contexts where you volunteer, like for example, Burning Man and stuff like that, uh, I feel it's hard because I pay my ticket. I do a lot of work. Uh, it's actually my fun time, but then I still teach workshops in order to give something. And then I'm not allowed to fuck. I mean, for me, it's limits. <laughs> and yeah. People, um, yeah, I, I kind of that comes back to me because I started because I wanted to fuck, not because I wanted to teach anyone about something. Yep. And so now I see myself where I'm standing and I can understand that there is this power differences and why I shouldn't do it. But I also want to be compassionate with the people that started not because of their big wanting of community or teaching or changing the world, but just of a hedonistic, I don't know, drive. Oh my God. I remember when I first joined um, Burner Events and it was lovely. I really did enjoy my early days as a hedonist. Um, but I think we are getting to a different topic. Would you like to end the session and we can start a new one? Yes. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Olivier and Yanina, for being on this session of Intimate Interactions. It was lovely having you. Thank you. Thank you a lot. It was a pleasure. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash Intimate Victor or tweet me at Intimate Victor or follow my Instagram, you guessed it, at Intimate Victor. If you can spare the cost of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. Or you can just tell a friend. The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI-rendered saxophonist. The closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may your most important relationships be filled with the intimate, rich interactions you crave. Be well. <laughs>